Glad you're with us this morning. My name is Chris. I'm an elder and pastor here at Resonate. Um, I'm glad uh, you're with us on this cold, um, late March uh, day. Let me pray for us. Uh, We'll dive in. This will be a a slightly different uh, Sunday in terms of how we approach it. Sometimes we really unpack some texts and and really uh, dive in pretty deep in sort of how we approach the Bible. But today, um, we'll do a little bit more storytelling of of who we are, and and, um, you'll you'll see as we go. But let me pray for us. God, um, we're so thankful for... um, uh, this morning, uh, a warm room to gather in, uh, a place to come and worship um, without um, worry about um, governments and um, just with some freedoms. And God, that we don't take those for granted. God, we're um, thankful to encounter uh, the way that you continue to move and work, the way your spirit uh, draws people to you, matures them, sanctifies them. Make some more like you. So God, we pray for that this morning. We pray that each of us would continue to become all that you would have for us. Continue to be conformed into your image. I pray all in your name. Amen. I heard a story from one pastor who uh, went to his congregation and said, look, I have, I have good news and, and, and some bad news. And he said, here's, here's the good news. He says, our church is growing. Our church continues to, to expand and we're going to need more space. We're going to need more things for the church to, to meet those needs. And he's like, I also have a second piece of good news. He said, we have the money to make that happen. We, we have the ability to, to meet some of those needs that, that we have because we're expanding. He's like, but I, I got to share the bad news. He said, the bad news is that the money is still in your pockets. And so <laughs> we're going to need that money and so we are engaged in a series where we are talking about money and generosity. And um, a couple weeks ago, we kind of opened with the precariousness of that, the way that many pastors and churches um, manipulate or shame or um, do all sorts of things with money that I think can be um, unhealthy and unbiblical. Um, and we've wanted to walk that line faithfully, but there's a tension always, as a, particularly as a church or as a pastor, of um, Knowing those things, knowing how the church has um, abused uh, some of the language and talks on money, but yet the tension of um, how much it dominates a lot of our hearts and our thoughts and how we operate and, and needing and, and knowing that Jesus talks about it a lot as well. And so we've been trying to walk those lines faithfully. We talked about how generosity is actually a really good thing for our souls. Um, that, that it's true for those that do research outside the church as much as I think what scripture points to. That's good for our discipleship. It's good for our development of our hearts and what we're attached to. And then uh, Hoffa spoke last week, did a wonderful job talking about how we gratefully receive from the Lord and then readily give and how that develops this wonderful cycle of how we are blessed and then blessed to give uh, to others. And then God continues to bless, not in a way that's about making us more rich, but by faithfully receiving what he gives us and continuing to give it away. But this week, I want to get really personal about it all. Uh, the Millennial Impact Report talks about millennials, which, to be honest, is a decent chunk of our church. Uh, I know not all, uh, but uh, I know there's a cultural norm that we need to address as a church. Found that 90% of millennials believe in a compelling cause, not an organization, is what motivated them to be generous. Statistically, millennials volunteer their time at unprecedented rates compared to prior generations. And so, for those of you who just serve and serve and serve, just know. That's wonderful. And you are matching a lot of what is a cultural norm for this generation. Millennials are also giving financially. Yet they are more likely to give to nonprofit causes with clearly articulated social impact. I think it is very true that it's very much a norm uh, for those of us who are millennials that um, we really want our dollars to go and and make the difference. Um, There's a lot of anti-institutionalism that is a cultural trend right now. A lot of suspicion and distrust and skepticism towards institutions, and the church is one of them. Now, the church has done itself very little favors, to be real. When scandals, abuses of power, uh, manipulations over things like money, time and time again, the church has given a lot of people plenty of reasons to have some skepticism or distrust. We can own that. Just like education, politics, everybody else has also done the same thing. 
And I can talk about generosity all day long from the stage, and we've, we've done that now for two weeks, and I think most of us would probably nod along going, yes, generosity is a really good thing, right? It's not controversial to say, hey, being more generous is a good thing for anybody. I think most people would agree with that. And perhaps some of you are already considering ways to be more generous, and I want to address the question, is the church a good way to be generous? I want to talk about that. So why be generous here? with Resonate, particularly. Um, I want to speak first, very generally, um, about the halo effect. Uh, as much as religious institutions are getting bashed for all sorts of reasons, gods, to see what is their sort of economic social impact. The University of Pennsylvania, hardly a Christian institution, did a massive study in 2016 to go, what is the economic impact on average of churches, particularly in cities? They took into account all sorts of different things, so we'll, we'll just start with this little graphic. Um, but they took into account all the influence in the local economy on food or florists or facility services. So if you hire a local plumber and stuff like that, how it spent their money on all those things. Space usage, how uh, it utilized uh, its space and opened its doors, usually for under market costs for local organizations or free uh, for a number of local organizations. <laughs> Educational programs, uh, churches that would provide daycares, mom's morning out. I know it's a, bit, a little bit zero-sum, but to exist in a certain space, you are bringing business. So I would imagine Kroger and Value Village and all those are reaping some of the impact of some of us existing here that they wouldn't have reaped if the church didn't exist here. So some of the magnet effect individual impact. Uh, so ways that churches do things like counseling, uh, meeting individual needs in crisis, providing for the poor and vulnerable individuals, improving marriage relationships, decreasing risks of suicide. There's a lot of correlated pieces to that. And then community development. So churches that sometimes provide job training, housing initiatives, building more solid marriages, which causes a decrease in violence, um, promoting or volunteering charitable organizations, moral community obligations, and, and so forth. And so it took, uh, lastly, social capital care. Uh, programs that benefit the poor in the surrounding area, healthcare programs. So, like we even housed a, a healthcare program coming in, uh, providing uh, low income uh, healthcare uh, for them, volunteer activities, food banks, stuff like that. So on average, and knowing it's rare that a church does all of those things at once, um, but taking on average, local churches, they did all the research, and they said that churches on average have an impact of more than $1.8 million per year. $1.8 million per year, at a rate that's usually about $3.39 for every dollar that the church spends in its budget. And I think some of you are like surprised, and I was too. <laughs> I was surprised by that, which is funny because that 3.39 is actually pretty close to where our budget is versus what impact we would have. And so they just find time and time again that social religious institutions are pretty significant for communities. That said, what about here? What about resonate? What is the cause that we could speak of to go, hey, we think that generosity here does matter and, and makes an impact that is um, significant? And I want to talk biblically of what we see the early church doing, and then we'll talk about uh, the text. Because as I said a few weeks ago, without the temple, without some of that system, I, I'm not sure exactly what um, to instruct regarding percentages and tithes and stuff like that. Um, I think there's ways that um, it's, a, it's a heart issue of how much generosity can I do? How much more can I give? How much um, can I step into? Rather than here's the hard line and we're going to go for it. Because there's only so many texts in the New Testament that's really about the generosity of the early church. And we'll tackle all of those today to kind of talk about where we're at. So first, the, the generosity of the church helps meet the needs of the church. We see this starting in Acts 2, at the birth of the church. <clears throat> and what we find in Acts 2 is that all who believed were together. This is coming right off of the formation of the first church. And had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Just a couple of chapters later, we're reminded of the same thing. Verse 32 of chapter 4. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And then Galatians 6.10 so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. One of the things most notable about the start of the church in Acts is really around their unity, which gets highlighted in how they actually care for the needs within their community. 
One of the things that the Pentecost holiday itself, the, the day was about, was a pointing towards generosity of the Jewish people. It would be a day to, they would read from Ruth. They would talk about not gleaning the corners of the field and, and how that would provide for those who had need. And when the Holy Spirit comes that day, it forms a community that does what? It cares for the needs of those who have need. It's like a fully Holy Spirit-oriented people are fulfilling all that Pentecost was supposed to be. And so the church has a responsibility to care for the needs of its people. It's not a surprise. Galatians will speak to that, saying, look, do good, but especially to the household of faith. Take care of the family first. We've always had two ways I think the church has done that. Some, there's, there's times where we've given when there's a certain opportunity, but we've also built a culture of this as well. There have been numerous ways we've um, sought to meet needs very practically, very directly. Uh, we had, do have a benevolence fund that exists in this church that has met the needs of those within the family multiple times. Um, we have helped uh, people that have struggled to pay bills. We have helped people that, have, um, that are experiencing homelessness to house for weeks on end, to, to care for, to, to help provide for uh, that man's vehicle so that he can make a paycheck doing DoorDash and things like that. We have given money out multiple times out of our benevolence fund for needs that have arisen. So as people have had needs, according to Acts, we have sought to meet those needs and use, utilize some of our budget to do so. One of the other ways is counseling. Um, we have, um, as a church, we are pro-counseling, particularly Christian counseling. Uh, we don't think that that's a, a sign of weakness. We think that's a sign of health and awareness and uh, wisdom. We have supported, suggested, and helped those that need assistance to get counseling support. Um, and, and, and to provide for them as needed. It's one of our larger light items, to be honest, in our budget. And there are a lot of people in the church who have benefited from some of that counseling and care. People that may not have made that decision, maybe because it's one of the first things to go when you're kind of maybe financially struggling to go, hey, what can we cut from our budget? Well, maybe we don't see the counselor this month. We don't want that. We want to be able to support you if, if it's a real struggle to go, hey, this is really important because this might be a, the source of your problems right now. And we want to make sure that you are seeing a counselor. Um, and there's other ways too, but we've also built a tremendous culture of care here. Um, there's something unique here about our church. Uh, I, I think it's one of the things that's the most significant about who we are as, as a church. Um, even, even when we did some feedback and reviews uh, back in the, in the fall, it was one of the things that came up time and time again, that we mobilize when there's a need. When someone needs meals delivered, we show up and bring meals. When someone needs a ride to a place, we show up and bring rides to hospitals or to visits or whatever it may be. We've helped people that have needed money for a down payment for a house, and we've heard about generous stories of people providing money to help that down payment. We've had people provide transportation for um, and basically help buy a vehicle for uh, transportation to get around for a family that had no form of transportation. We've had people open their homes for returning missionaries that are in tough spots, just looking for um, a place to, to be housed for a while, and we've had people just open their homes. I can think of a family like the Bremners of, of Angela and Jeff, and how many people they have housed time and time again, just temporarily opening their homes since they moved in, willing to really say, hey, this is, this is open-handed. Like, I'm not claiming any of this is mine. I'm willing to share it with whoever. And they've been able to do that. And I think it's just part of the ethos that we have built at this church, and I think it's wonderful. Though giving here may not go to specific projects at times, it, it does go to the leadership who continues to disciple a culture of generosity in this place. I don't think we have any shortage on that. So let's, let's even kind of be able to measure this. If you have received generosity from this church, counseling support, benevolence funds, You've had meals delivered by people in this church. You've had housing offered. You've had rides to and from places. You've had childcare assistance. Whatever it may be, let's, let's just do this now. Raise your hand. Right? It's significant. It's a lot of the church. And it's kind of the impact that I think our generosity and our culture of generosity has helped build. But we've also done the needs outside the church. So not just for our family here, but outside our family locally. So Galatians 2.10. Only, uh, this is Paul, that he said, they asked me to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And as he already said in Galatians 6.10, so then as we have opportunity, let's do good to everyone. And then he says, especially for inside the church, but it goes beyond that. 
Part of the role of the church is to be an agent of God's kingdom work into the world, that we would be bringing the kingdom to bear in the areas that are broken and unjust and dark and sinful. And how we do that, I think as Jeremiah puts it, we seek the shalom of the city that we are in. We seek the peace of the city that we are in. We help to bring peace and restoration to the place that we are planted. It's part of what our role as a church is supposed to be, to make things look more like the kingdom of God as we also pray for his kingdom to come. And so we've sought to do this in, in a lot of little but important ways. I've said this before. Um, every person that shows up at the store that comes knocking in need of assistance, we don't want to turn away uh, right away, and, but it's complicated of, of how we care for them. And so um, we do provide them with a small gift card, um, and it comes up a lot because we get a lot of... Uh, my phone is a doorbell for the front door, and it rings all day. Um, we get a lot of visitors, and, and we try to give away gift cards. We give gift cards to, to Dollar Tree, which um, can, can help navigate some of the things that um, we, we don't want to encourage them to buy, um, and, and to be able to do that right across the way. Um, and we give them away with, addi- with additional lists of assistance uh, places, uh, shelters, food pantries, things like that, that can help them navigate um, their experience, usually uh, experiencing homelessness. Uh, we continue to make various blessing bags, which are basically bags, bags of um, various um, goods and needs, toothbrushes, socks, uh, stuff like that, that we have given away multiple times as a church. We've had multiple packing parties. We've had life groups continue to do it on their own um, to continue to give away and give away and give away. We give rides to churches for those who are unable to drive themselves, whether because they don't have a car, whether because they don't have a license, or whether because they are experiencing um, whether they can't drive or hear or see or hear or whatever reason that they can't uh, drive themselves. And so we have um, ways that we try to arrange various rides in this church. We have served Sundays where uh, certain Sundays, we don't do it on Saturday because we want everyone involved in this and we think a form of worship is serving. We take a Sunday and we go into the city to go serve. We, we go to places like Clarkston uh, where we can serve the refugee community. We go to Ethne so we can uh, continue to, to help Ethne partner um, along, uh, along the lines of caring for the refugee community. We have um, um, worked with Hillside Prez and their food pantry. We've uh, gone to um, the elderly homes. I don't know the right word for that now. Um, older adult homes. Uh, <laughs> is, that the, is that the current phrasing? Um, to, to care for people at Wesley Woods. We've done all sorts of things to make sure that we are mobilized to care. Uh, we have all sorts of foster care initiatives. Uh, we've built a culture of foster care. Um, and I don't think Anna has been gotten yet. Oh, she is there. I was expecting to see you on over there. Sorry. Um, but we built a culture of foster care and, and support, and, and we've, we've wanted to uh, do that and financially assist and to bring others into that. So, Anna, I do want to invite you up into, um, to ask you just a few questions related to your experience on that. This is Anna Briard. Uh, she's been, how long have you been? You've been with us a long time. I think like eight since, and a half yeah. years. Yeah. Since the dance studio days. Dance um, studios, yeah. <laughs> so when you came into Resonate, did you have any experience with foster care or adoption? I knew of foster care and I knew people that adopted, but I didn't know anyone personally had been doing foster care before Resonate. Yeah. And so what helped kind of expose you initially just to foster care as an idea? Well, pretty early on in Resonate, I got p- plugged in in kids and then we had Finley, I think it was the Fawners the first time. Am I like going way back machine um, that had a foster daughter? Um, and then I started trying to list out the families. And it's actually quite a few people that don't even go to our church anymore um, that have moved for jobs or whatever. But like the Fawners, the Crosses, the Aspenwalls, um, you know, Turner, Zulowski's, Bolton Houses. So I've seen those kids in uh, kids' church. And then I'll just shout out to our Resonate kids, always making sure we have training in place so that people know um, you know, k- kids coming from hard places of how to handle that in the classroom and um, how to treat those kids and greet those kids in a positive way each week. Yeah, and so, and now you're involved in respite care. And so how has Resonate played a role in developing your desire to do that and supporting you in the process? Um, yeah, developing desire. I mean, for those of you that know me, previous job, I traveled 90% of the time for work, so I didn't have time. Um, but I was plugged into a foster care um, family support team that Resonate does an awesome job of surrounding full-time foster families with, you know, a meal every week and babysitting on dial. Um, 
and just prayer, you know, prayer requests, it's a hard um, sometimes for uh, families and kids and just getting those really specific um, prayer requests that maybe you don't share out to the wider world, um, but you can do for your foster care team. Um, and then as I transitioned to another job that didn't travel as much, um, really just, I think it was a conversation with Danielle of like, yeah, I think I want to do that someday. And she's like, well, I'll have someone from Wellroot reach out, you know, <laughs> and like within the week I had a call and then within the next week I was in training <laughs> for at Wellroot. Um, and a few months later I was certified. Um, I think that desire of like, um, I don't see it as a personal um, thing I'm doing because I get so much support from Resonate. I want to shout out to my life group, Friday nights. I'm usually having kids come in on Friday, coming in hot, and we show up at life group and they think it's a party. Like, I cannot explain that it's not a party. They think it's a party and they want to know if we're going to another party on Saturday and another party on Sunday. And, um, you know, we have kids of all ages and I just shout out to the kids in our life group too of being, especially the older kids, we have like some of the only teenagers in Resonate right now and they do an awesome job of welcoming the little kiddos I bring in and making sure they feel connected and playing with them one-on-one to the point where I'm like arranging specific play dates with one of the with favor Pasquale to come play with one of my eight-year-old girls that remembers her and wants to see her again um so yeah and just like the first weekend I had kids I had three um, which is the max I have for my household, um, three, six, and nine. And the Bowdens had us over for a play date on Saturday. And I, and then I think the Delaskis came over too. There was like multiple kids, and um, it was just awesome. I think that was the highlight of their week uh, weekend with me. And they saw the same people on Friday as they saw on Saturday as they saw on Sunday. And like, just they're like, how many friends do you have? I'm like, oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> So anyways, that, that's how I felt very supported by Resonate of like just getting plugged into, I feel like Resonate has had a great run of foster and respite care and adoption and just plugging into that mission and helping support folks um, that are in that full time. It's been awesome. Excellent. Thanks, Shana. Thanks, Anna. And then she's going back to work, back in the back area. Um, yeah, and so, I mean, that's, that's one of the ways that I think we, we try to support and mobilize and to utilize some of the finances and efforts here, both by staff and also we have scholarships for adoptions and stuff like that, that we would um, contribute to things like that. Uh, and the last piece, um, we support um, as a church. We, we care for uh, and support and try to be a resource to uh, plenty of people that work in Clarkston. Uh, we have staff members from GFM that we want to care for well so that they can go do their jobs well the other six days of the week. And uh, people from Pioneers and others that we want to support and ethne so that we can be a place that's refreshing and care, and care for them well. Uh, the next piece is uh, the church and how it cares for the, the world globally financially. Um, so First uh, Corinthians 16, 1, uh, Paul starts taking up a collection for a church in Jerusalem, and he does it amongst all the Gentile churches. Uh, he says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church in Galatia, so you also are to do. And Second Corinthians 9, 5, it's the, one of the instructions as well. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gifts that you have promised, that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. And then uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 14, the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. And so we've wanted um, to support and to be a globally minded church and to send missionaries and to support other churches around this globe because we see the early church doing the same thing. As the church had need, now far away from places like Corinth, you know, he took up a collection so that the church in Corinth could have Finances, And so we have missionary partners all over the place, and we have increased our, our giving quite a bit uh, over the last few years, particularly this year. I think we almost doubled uh, what we've given, uh, particularly from those who have sent out from this church. And so we have missionaries in East Asia, North Africa, Turkey, Hungary, Chad. Uh, we have church plants in Paris and the UAE. We give our money to the X29 Church Plan Network, which goes partially to global efforts. Um, we've done previous work with organizations like Food for the Hungry um, and cared for some of the stuff uh, globally there, too. We've sent teams to Indonesia to do some trainings to, for people that um, just need basic health training of how to, how to sanitize and, and stay clean so that you don't get diseases and things like that. Uh, trips like to Nepal for training uh, for, the, for the women to be trained and, um, and, and financial assistance for different trips over and over again. And not only that, but we have a church full of people that individually support global missionaries. We have sent four different units out from this church, all receiving individual giving from people in this church. 
And so I'll, I'll ask that question again. I didn't know if I planned on it. Missionary partners, raise your hand. That's awesome. That's a decent chunk of our church. In addition from the church budget, bottom line. And then we have staff. Um, part of our finances, part of our budget goes towards staffing. 1 Corinthians 9, 14. In the same way, as I already read, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. Or 1 Timothy 5, let the elders who rule be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the labor deserves his wages, which most will take as um, those who um, labor, particularly within the walls of the church, not just as missionaries, but also receive some form of financial compensation for that. Now, this becomes self-seeking. I, I, I'll own that as a pastor. Uh, uh, no, duh. I, I make a salary here, and so talking about the salary is also talking about my paycheck. But ministry is all about people reaching people and making disciples. It is a people job. Like, if this building were to shut down, we would still be a church and still have the people to go do something about that. Um, so it is a people-oriented job. And so because of that, some of the largest financial investment that most churches make, it's very rare that's not like the biggest budget item, is on church staff. And as church staff, we started to carry the load of building the culture that we've just talked about, of building a culture of generosity, of building a culture of caring about global needs and local needs, of providing pastoral care and counseling amongst various staff. Um, that happens amongst all staff members to provide community building and discipleship that would lead to people who are, by most research, less lonely, less depressed, less anxious, less violent, less stingy, and overall general better life outcomes. It, it matters. And, and hear me, like... For, for most of us on staff, it, it feels like we essentially run a nonprofit, an educational organization, a daycare, a counseling center, an event facility, and a community organization, and a business all at one time. It just does. That's what it feels like all the time. And we do all the operational things to run an organization, which all nonprofits have paid staff for. And so it's not that we're any different than most other nonprofits, but we also have a heavy people side of what we do. It's not, it's not the metric of, hey, we fed this many people this week. It is the metric of the slow shaping of a whole community that is hard to measure. It's hard to always see the fruit of, but we have amazing stories from our church. I had one of our couples that's no longer here kind of send it in. They were supposed to make a video, um, but uh, Brian Mull said he would cry too much if he did. So, <laughs> so he sent, they sent it in text form. So this is from Brian and Morgan, uh, who are no longer with us, who are living in Rocky Mount, uh, North Carolina now. Uh, we'll see if I can get through this without crying. Uh, we had the great joy of being partners at Res... Wow, that didn't take long. Oh. <laughs> we just miss them. We just miss them so much. Um, being partners at Resonate from 2014 to 2020. During our time, we both served as volunteer staff positions. I remember the early days, it was just Chris as full-time status, and Sarah was doing much, uh, as much to support him as the rest of the, and the rest of the volunteer staff while Sarah was staying at home with Ransom. I distinctly remember being in tears, wanting to quit leading the kids' ministry, and the two of them helping me to figure out how to form a team with people around me who had the skills I lacked, to be able to stay in the role and better support volunteers and families. That has been probably the most helpful leadership skill I've utilized still to this day. As Sarah came on staff, I got to watch her, as both her and Chris would learn something new, this beautiful cycle of them teaching it to each other, to staff, and then see the fruit of it flow to the congregation. The investment they made in us is continuing to give, uh, is, we, we are continuing to give away to our church and the city here at Rocky Mountain. The way they taught me to love, know, and teach the word of God rightly allowed me to jump right in and co-teach uh, a new women's Bible study in our church. Brian was able to jump into leading worship and, and um, during the staff member that was on leave. We've been able to equip the leadership of our church here with a six-week class with a lot of content I've learned from our time of teaching, of leading and uh, learning at Resonate. I recently started working at a housing development nonprofit and have been able to support and equip our volunteers using similar methods I received from the staff at Resonate. The ties and investment the church makes in Resonate is continuing to build flourishing that flows deep and wide through the people who stay and those who send. And so it's an incredible story. And it's, it's so fun to watch them from afar and kind of see where they've been mobilized, where they've been developed. I mean, it stinks sometimes to raise up leaders and watch them go. Um, it's very bittersweet. It's continue to go, okay? We, we invested well um, in continuing to see them serve. You know, we've watched families like the Aspen Walls do the same and, 
how we built them up about caring for food for the hungry and other organizations and how they continue to do stuff like that. Um, and we've watched people mature. We've watched how the staff has just invested well into individuals. And so I want to bring the Velaskis up uh, to talk about that as well. Oh, there you go. Is this because you're going to share more than I expected? Um, and so you guys have been here, as we said, it's hard to know exactly when the starting point was, but um, tell us how maybe recently there's, there's been a chance to, to utilize your home to kind of serve others. Tell, tell us a little bit of the story so we can kind of parse it apart from there. Sure. Um, it, you know, the story starts way, way long time ago, but I'm going to bring it, bring it up. Um, we renovated our basement um, maybe two years ago with specifically for the goal of being able to house our family when they come to visit. Um, because at the time we were a foster family and we were maxed out on space in the upper part of our house. So we built this out for family. That was the sole purpose. Um, and in God's perfect timing, um, we, the basement was finished around the time we decided to close our home to foster care. So we were left with all of the space. Um, and we were able to house some, you know, some resonate um, folks and family. And then in December, um, oh, I forgot the chunk. I decided like the best um, way to move forward with the space was clearly to uh, list it on Airbnb. Um, it, it was a lot of work and it was not rewarding work. And so we closed it, uh, hosted our last, um, our last folks at the very beginning of December. And within a week, um, we were made aware of a family who was literally on the brink of homelessness like that night. They were not going to have a place to live. And um, it was, happened to be um, a family who had a son who was a freshman at our son's high school. And I just thought, oh my gosh, we, I mean, what can we do, right? Um, we can't let this kid and his family approach midterms and Christmas without somewhere to go. So we, we were um, in communication with the liaison at the school and um, another community member, and we said, okay, well, this is what we have to offer. It's not much, but we can do it. And they said, okay, great. Um, by the way, this is a family of five. And I was like, all right, this is a one-bedroom apartment, so we'll see what happens. And they said, and then as communication happened, it's like, okay, it's a family of five, they've got three kids. Okay, fine. Well, it turns out the youngest kid is a freshman. So we're talking grown people here, five grown people in our basement. Okay, we can do it. And then it was like two hours before it was all said they were gonna come, it was like, oh, by the way, they have a dog. Is that gonna be a problem? Okay, so five grown people and a dog. And we had already said no dogs in the basement. So this was really kind of a sticking point for me. And I was like, I don't know, I just, a dog and we have two dogs and we just, this is a lot. And, and my son, Alex, he was like, I mean, I thought he would say no, but my son was like, seriously, mom, like they're losing their home. Like, and you're gonna just like not let them have their dog too. Like, okay, so anyway, so this was, um, <laughs> We didn't, I didn't know. Anyway, so we had five people um, and their cute little dog um, staying in our home um, for two weeks um, in December. And um, it was just such an experience to open up our home to people we did not know who did not speak our language um, and, and just to work with them and other people in our community to try to get them on their feet. And, um, you know, the, it was a beautiful story of, of them um, ultimately being able to be placed into an apartment um, two days before Christmas. So. And so, uh, 10 years ago, would you guys ever have imagined that this would be kind of something you would have ever said yes to? <laughs> no. Right. And so, um, yeah, I did, you know, 10 years was uh, that, you know, seems like a really long time, I guess it's, you know, a blink in the eye for God and, and just how we've changed as a family. And, you know, 10 years ago, you know, our son was four years, you know, four years old and, you know, trying to build a house and a family and, and just, you know, and I've always considered us generous people, um, but never that, just that selfishless, heartfelt generosity that, um, you know, we've really come to know here at Resonate. Um, you know, just, you know, you know, what's mine is mine. This is my home, you know, um, 
you know, um, you know, the, the provisions that God had provided us, just not really that, that view of it's, it's what God has given us to give to others. And, you know, over, over the last 10 years, we've really, you know, come to know the church and, and, and it's guided us in terms of just knowing that what we do have is not ours to give. It's, it's his to give. And uh, really just the experiences that we've had in terms of, you know, uh, opening up our home and, you know, tithing to the church and all those other things is really, you do start to see that, um, you know, he does provide and, and in, in ways that you would never, ever, ever expect him to. Um, you know, and, and, and like the thing with the dog, it's like, you know, gosh, it's, you know, I would say 10 years ago, we probably would have been in the position of, you know, somebody else will house them. Somebody else will have a home for them. You know, we just don't have the space or, you know, they have a dog and we can't deal with that. And, um, you know, but then we did open up our home and, and it, it, it provided them an opportunity to have somewhere to stay before the holidays um, and, and really give the community enough time to rally to support them so that they could actually find a new place to stay in an apartment, you know, close by where they didn't have to relocate again. And, and uh, just, it, yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, and how has Resonate played a role in developing sort of that, that, um, that conviction in you? And yeah. Yeah. Um, well, anybody who knows us knows that we are slow growing seeds. Um, we do not move quickly. We don't, um, we take a very long time to do things. And, and that has also meant a very long time to grow in our faith and um, sort of this understanding of generosity. Um, and we, our first experience with Resonate was having Sarah and Jonathan move into our community, I mean, into our neighborhood 10 years ago. Um, and so that was our first experience. I mean, what an awesome experience, uh, that being your first with Resonate with Sarah and Jonathan. And um, they, um, they invited us to our very first experience in Life Group, the very first iteration of Life Group. Um, and we went to this home and Sarah was like, you should come. And I'm like, ah, I don't know these people. Like, who does that? Who just invites people to their home that they don't know? And so we went and I was like, this is amazing. And Alex was like, this is like a party like Anna was just talking about. Like, this is so great. There's all these kids. And I'm, but the whole time I'm like, who does this, right? And then, you know, we fast forward a few years and we see, again, we're still neighbors, Sarah and Jonathan, you know, host um, a refugee man in their home. They don't know him. I'm like, who does this, right? And then being, you know, seeing, being connected with um, people who were uh, vast and wild, specifically getting ready to um, walk into foster care. And we had always had adoption on our mind, but we didn't know that that would come through foster care. And so being plugged into that and like, gosh, who does this, you know? And just this slow exposure and just within this community of people who just continue to like give themselves away um, and give their things away and their space and their hearts and um, just being able to be a part of that over literally close to a decade um, has has shaped us. I mean, in in ways we could not have imagined. Um, and so, so while it's hard sometimes to say, oh, the money that I'm going to donate is going to have this sort of direct effect. I think in our lives we really can say there is a direct effect between what is happening in this church um, and the people who are on staff and just the community overall. That that is manifests itself in what we are doing now. Yeah. Thanks, y'all. Appreciate it. And, I mean, we got more and more stories. We just don't have time for it. Um, but even as staff, I mean, the stuff that staff does, I mean, there's all the stuff that's seen, all the programmatic stuff that we do all the time. But, I mean, we, we, the things that happen that are never seen. Like, Brent does one-on-ones with people who are, like, in crisis of faith or like not knowing where they stand with Jesus. And he just delicately and very pastorally walks with people time and time again that no one knows about. I mean, it's connection to life groups, right? That's not, that's not something you think about in terms of what he does. And Danielle and Rob are regularly praying for each of your kids. If you have a kid in this room, that by name, that kid gets prayed for very, very regularly by those two leaders. Sarah's like constantly, like Sarah's list of things that you don't see her do is like a master list of, of things. Like, and, and, and she's always, the, the amount that she bears in terms of pastoring and caring for the women of this church, women particularly, or, and men particularly in crisis, um, every week it's like, I had this meeting with someone, there's another crisis. And she just has, and she, and she bears that weight and, and does it very well. She's not doesn't complain about it. It's not 
It's not something that, that she doesn't want to do, but uh, it's something that she's constantly walking in and through with leaders of this church. And so, but the staff does these sort of things. Like, and as I said, like every day that, that doorbell rings. And so there's things we do that we care for. So I met a guy named Gregory out there one day and he, he was in crisis, just crying away. And, and it was like a three-hour sit-down conversation. I walked away with a sunburn that day uh, because we were just sitting outside talking for hours and hours on end. And he's likely, he was likely in his last couple months of life, um, he had all sorts of health problems. And he just wanted to be home with his family who lived down in Florida. And so we bought him a bus ticket and sent him back home to Florida so he can be with his family. And so it's stuff like that that you guys don't see the staff do, but we're doing all the time. And so, uh, but the last piece I want to talk about is also a building. Uh, I can't give a specific text for this. Uh, Acts ends in the book, uh, chapter 28, uh, and we don't get to where the church starts buying buildings in history, but it doesn't come very much after that. Uh, in the early 200s is when uh, we find first history of churches buying buildings, particularly in the outskirts of the Roman world, since uh, Rome wouldn't really let them do it. Um, but we start seeing evidences of why churches buy buildings and, and certain assembly spots for churches, similar to synagogues. And to be real, we can be a set-up, tear-down kind of church. There's something a little bit scrappy and kind of punk rock about that um, that's desirable. It's mobile, it's agile, it's all those things. And at times, it's often a cheaper option, but it does come with drawbacks. Uh, The churches I know that met in schools during COVID experienced all sorts of nightmares dealing with the schools related to meetings. When you lease, you're a phone call away from having to scramble and figure out something else. They're, they're just some practical pieces of what it looks like to own a place. And there's a difference between renting and owning that isn't just about finances. Some of it's about emotional investment, the sense of feeling rooted in having a home in a specific place, the prospects of staying for a period of time. As I heard one pastor said, there's something really good for a city to be able to point to a place and say, there is a spiritual community that meets right there. And I can knock on their door or show up on Sunday, and I know that if, when my life is falling apart, I can be there. And when you drive around the city right now, what we see time and time again is churches that are starting to be abandoned, and they're torn down and replaced with condos and townhomes. It's time and time again throughout the city. And the perception, I would argue, particularly here on the east side of Atlanta, is that the church is gone, and they're a shell of what they once were. And it communicates that the church is part of the city's past and not about the part of the city's future. But we don't believe that. And a long-term hope is to still grow and continue to, to utilize this space and to communicate to the larger city, no, the church has not disappeared and we are here. And so owning a building helps us communicate that value. And let's be real, we were only about six months into the space since I got back from sabbatical. And so there are all sorts of things that, that we still have dreams about in terms of utilizing this building. We're not quite there yet. Uh, we, we, we have things that, that we want to, to try to figure out, usage for outside groups. And we've already had local ministries, local businesses, local healthcare services, all utilize our space during the week in ways that we don't post on social media just to be like, hey, look how awesome we are. But it does happen all the time. We will always use our space to be more than Sunday mornings and more than Wednesday nights. That is our hope and that is our goal. A place where, uh, that is available to come and pray and fellowship throughout the week, which we already started with play and pray groups and things like that. A place to teach people, a place to serve those who need and eventually maybe develop programs if God gives us the right leadership to do so. And this building helps communicate a sense of place and presence. And so buildings do matter for those things. We aren't interested in being transient. We know the effects of transience of people coming in and out and people fleeing spaces to be in a more homogenous place. That's what happened in Atlanta in the 90s. It's that so many of the churches in the city all left to go be in much more homogenous, uh, and, and I'll own that, predominantly white churches leaving the city to go in predominantly white spaces. But we want to say, no, we are part of the future of the neighborhood. We are part of the future of reconciliation and justice and dignity and all of those other things. And I know the arguments. Yeah, but if we sold the building, we can give all these things to the poor. I know, and those arguments have... But what if this place continued to grow to be a place for Belvedere Park and for the east side? That we were able to continue to resource and to, to utilize what we are for the neighborhood, for spiritual and practical needs for the neighborhood time and time again. And one last piece of that desire is to tell a different story of the churches in the past. Atlanta has a long history of your picture of the kingdom as where every tribe, tongue, and nation are all singing in front of the Lamb together. So it's been a conviction of ours that we would be a part of that 
future and the hope moving into Belvedere is knowing that, that we didn't currently reflect the, the demographics of Belvedere yet, but we long to. And so it's been something that's been on our heart the whole time as a church. At least, at least after the first few years, it really kicked in. And so I want to invite uh, uh, Brandon up uh, to, to kind of share some of that with us as well. Thanks. All right, first question. Although we still have a long way to go, mm-hmm. how have you seen Resonate invest in and make decisions towards building a diverse community here? Uh, yeah, so for those of y'all who don't know me, uh, I've been going to Resonate for 10 years. Um, and so when I, yeah, shout out. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> So when we, me and my wife first joined, um, I think there was always kind of a welcoming spirit and a, and a spirit of wanting Resonate to be reflective of God's kingdom, right? Um, but I don't think there was like a, um, a, a clear vision necessarily or a, a kind of a strategy for what that would actually look like for us to do. And I think um, over the past time that I've been here, we have really grown, I think, in our awareness of kind of what the issues might be as far as our growing in diversity and then what we can do um, to go about at least preparing our hearts to be that, right? So we can't make anybody become a partner at Resonate. We can't make people walk through these doors, but we can't prepare our hearts um, and prepare our minds to, to serve those people well if they do. Um, and when we are in their presence, um, we have the opportunity um, to show God's love to people, right? And that's really the call. The call isn't to be like a college brochure on like, and everybody just kind of looks like they're super happy or whatever, that's not the call. The call is to serve people well where you are, right? Um, and, and Atlanta and the east side of Atlanta is where we are and we're blessed to have the opportunity to be around diverse people in diverse communities just as a function of where we live and, and where we are. Um, so we should prepare our hearts to do that. So uh, I think that's where we've really grown kind of in that perspective and, and kind of in the way that we go about doing it. Yeah, and what do you think, on a positive side, a move to, to Belvedere Park really communicates to surrounding neighbors? And- yeah, um, so um, I think for like, especially specifically for Decatur, um, like Memorial Drive has always kind of been, at least for my, most of my childhood and my life, kind of the dividing line of uh, who lives where, right? So north of memorials tend to be more homogenous, wealthier, whiter. South of Memorial tends to be more working class, more people of color, more black folk. And I love that our church is on Memorial, right? Like, like we wanted to be, right? I think that's really important, right? For us to be like literally right smack dab in the middle, right? So if you come in South, you see us. If you come in North, you see us. Um, Cause I think we want to be a church um, that could be for any and everybody, right? And that we're not um, trying to find ourselves tucked away in one corner or the other, but we want to kind of be in the mix so people can to have as much access to us as possible. Um, and I think that's what the importance of this building is, right? Um, even since we've been here, I think there's been more people who just kind of walk in off the street than we ever had in any of the other places I've been. And, we had, and we've been in like five different places since, <laughs> since I've been here, right? Including no place at all for like a year. We were just kind of just floating all over. Um, and so we had more people just kind of walk in because I saw a sign or I was just in the neighborhood and I wanted to see what y'all were about. Um, and that is a huge, huge blessing and what we were hoping for when we moved here, for sure. Yeah, so, well, and to echo that, I, I had a conversation with a gentleman this morning who saw the sign that's here because of that. Yeah. Um, what are you most excited to continue to see grow here at Resonate related to diversity and engagement? Um, I think we, uh, I'm super excited about kind of where we've uh, grown and kind of our awareness. And now that we have kind of the, as Chris was talking about, the permanence of owning a building, right? Like just like what you would with your house. Like if you buy a house, like you feel like it's important now to know your neighbors. It's important now to know what's going on in the neighborhood because you're invested there, right? So now that we've kind of put set down roots here, um, I think it's a great opportunity for us to really invest and get to know our neighbors in a real way without kind of that kind of, oh, we might not be here in a couple of years type of kind of buffer that sometimes is easy to lean upon um, when it's time to really dig in and invest, right? Now we have the opportunity to really grow, um, to really be present in the community, and, right, and to be forward kind of facing um, in a way that we haven't been able to before. Um, so I'm super excited about that. Right. Thanks, Brandon. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right, I, I am wrapping up. I want to finish with this blurb uh, that Sarah sent me. I don't know if she wants me to share it, but I'm going to. Uh, a reminder that being a Christian is hard work. 
In Hebrews 3, it calls us to encourage one another every day. Galatians 6 says we're to do good to all people. And Ephesians 4 says we're supposed to build up the church. And, and that is what the church does. And that's what the church staff is employed to do. It's different when a measurable driven nonprofit, it's different from an immeasurable driven nonprofit where it's like, here are the 10 things we could point to this year and put it in an infographic and it looks amazing. But all this is still essential work. And we need to remind people that the work of the church is and why it matters, even if we're not sending our annual reports of mission dollars and all this kind of stuff. And, and so I hope, I hope this sermon inspires um, that uh, for many of you, it's, it's probably like, where does my dollar go at Resume? It, and we can share budgets and go through all that in a specific way, but, but I wanted to highlight so much of the way that the generosity gets utilized here at this church. And so as we continue through the series, and as there's the cards in the back seats, or you've gotten, taken the card home already, and you consider what generosity looks like, as you consider what you can be generous to, uh, my, my prayer is that you really do consider resident and consider what generosity and increasing generosity can look like here at this church as we continue to, I hope, stretch your dollar from whatever our budget is to the $1.8 million impact that we can have in our local community. Um, and, and at the end of the day, I mean, I thought about this the other day and felt the conviction to praying for God to give more and more and more. But at the end of the day, I'm just praying that God just gives us what we need. Um, sometimes the more and more and more creates this weird world where the church just wants to grow and grow and grow. And that's, that's not necessarily the deal. What I want is whatever God wants us to have and, and whatever we are supposed to need right here, right now. And so as you consider your generosity, my hope is that you would have seen today how the money makes an impact here. Um, I know it wasn't the most exegetical type of sermon. I know it's a little different than what we normally done, but I think it was a really important moment for us to go, okay, here, here's, here's how we are actually mobilized and doing the work of ministry here and around the world. So let me pray for us, uh, and then we'll walk into a time of communion. God, I'm thankful uh, for a morning to, to celebrate uh, what you've done in and through this church, what you've done in and through your spirit, working through people to make an impact uh, here in the family, uh, outside these walls, to the local community, and then around the world. And so God, as we remember that, as we celebrate that, just as much as Israel was constantly told to, to remember the things that you have done to reflect on the work you do, God, uh, may we do the same. And may that instill in us and inspire us to be more generous, particularly within the life of the church, uh, so that we can continue to see your kingdom come and your will to be done. I pray all this in your name. Amen.